everybody. Welcome to another episode of Berkeley Alumni's Pass the Mic, where we pass the mic to you. I'm Jaquel Illy, and we are recording live from Berkeley NYC at Power Station. And I am Patrick Pharma, a very cosmopolitan New York Patrick Pharma today. Ooh. I was uh, walking down uh, 10th Avenue in a <laughs> vegan leather jacket. Uh, wow. Very exciting. And we also are here for the New York Alumni Brunch, which is tomorrow. So we're doing all that cool stuff in New York and hopefully some more stuff down the way. We have a kind of a theme show today during the pre-orientation week at Berkeley for the students. We interviewed an alumni panel that was working with the Somos Latinx program. Jaquel, I bet you don't know this, but I interviewed someone from the Somos Latinx program so we could learn more about it. What? No way. Would you like to hear it? Please. What What happened? Tell me about it. Well, I'll just let it speak for itself. And here we are with Taiwana Flores, who's the director of identity-based programs for student success. Hello. Did I get that right? You sure did. Okay, great. Taiwana and I spoke this summer when the alumni for the Somos Latinx panel were coming in. So Taiwana, can you give us a little background about what the Somos Latinx program is? Absolutely. So from a programs retention, um, student experience perspective, uh, we did research over time where we learned that there was a significant enrollment of Latin, Hispanic, domestic, and international students at Berkeley. We also noticed that the performing arts culture is an essential part of Berkeley, as most of us know, the arts ecosystem and the world culture in general. The biggest thing I'll say is that Hispanic and Latinx creatives have made numerous contributions to theater, music, and dance within North America. And the other part is that departments and divisions at Berkeley have created essential programs like the Latin Music Studies, Berkeley Latino, um, as part of Berkeley's contribution to the arts. And I'm going to get to the why, <laughs> but I think it's important to kind of lay the foundation Absolutely, here. Yeah. Um, and the other part is that the current retention and graduation rates of Latin and Hispanic students lag when compared to their white peers. So, you know, when we were thinking about, and I specifically mean we, mean student success programs and services, um, when we thought to launch Somos Latinx, we wanted to enable students to graduate at a higher rate with less debt, right? And we do that by creating support and resources um, for them to be proactive in robust ways and help them to prepare for unanticipated challenges in college. Another way we're you know, the reason why we launched um, Somos Latinx was support students to have a high quality, engaging experience. This cohort, uh, cohort excuse me, of students, we wanted to ensure that they had access to staff before they started um, their first semester at college um, and then continue supporting them throughout the year. And then really just to prepare students for purposeful, successful, sustainable careers. So, you know, we launched Somos Latinx. It was a big drive, right? It was a brainchild of mine and other colleagues who were like, we have to do this. Um, so we launched in August 2023 with a pre-orientation program um, for approximately like 62 students. And it's been extremely nice to see this foundational piece being embedded in Berkeley's services. What has it been like when alumni come back to visit the students in the program? Well, this is our first time bringing back um, Hispanic Latinx students 
like literally before the start of the semester. Um, So if you are familiar with the Black Scholars Initiative, we've been running that program for several years and we've brought alumni back. So we said, why not bring back Latin, Hispanic alumni who can speak to these students and talk about their journey in a very informal way, but an important, you know, time and space where we're like, talk to these folks, understand their journey, because there's a lot of intersectionalities between both worlds. So, and, and I will say like, Predating Somos Latinx, there has been a lot of heavy work done from staff and administrators um, of Latinx descent who have created these spaces and have centered alumni in various different ways. But I think it's really awesome now there's an institutional commitment. You know, it's now not like you know, staff and faculty running around trying to support students, that's going to happen naturally. But through Somos Latinx, we're building a foundation through the institution and making sure that we can successfully see our students through. So people that support this, this, these types of programs through contributions to Berkeley, what are they contributing to? They are contributing to shifting the narrative for our Latinx and Hispanic population students. They are contributing to seeing students through from start to finish. Um, That has historically been um, of concern for our students of color. And they are contributing to the next generation of performing artists. And more of our Latinx, um, Hispanic, Latin students are in, they're in the field. You know, it historically has been a journey to navigate Berkeley. And, you know, if you are giving to Somos Latinx, you're giving to the future and our students' journey. Okay, well, I said I was going to ask you this question up front, but then I got so excited to talk about Somos Latinx that I didn't get into it. So, um, Taiwana Flores, will you tell us about your Berkeley origin story? Oh, wow. How did you get started here? What have you been up to? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been here almost six years. Yeah. And I've seen you the entire time. So Yeah. So what's up with that? So I'm a dinosaur at Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> I have been at Berkeley for a little over 11 years. I've served in various roles from the provost office to the office of the president to liberal arts to Africana studies and now student success and programs. So I've been able to navigate Berkeley in a way that works for me and I love it. And I find that now that I'm in student success, it's very student centric. It's very, um, you know, support driven, it's very community building driven. So that's kind of like my Berkeley journey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I've always been in alumni affairs. So um, it's it's great when you get to work with the students because you really get to see what what we're all doing together, you know? And I love like um, some of the alumni still um, reach out to me and it's so great. Like the feedback has been um, Miss Flores, like I'm working with, you know, such and such and Miss Flores, I'm like really excited and I couldn't have done Berkeley without BSI. It's like that kind of stuff that keeps me going, keeps the program going and keeps it as an institutional priority. Yeah. These programs. Yeah. And now you get to, do it with a whole new cohort yeah. and, and, and help, help spread the success. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Taiwana, thank you very much for your time. Um, I told you it'd be five minutes, but we hit nine minutes. So Ooh. time flies when you're talking <laughs> with me. But, all right. Thanks. Sounds good. <laughs> 
Okay, so last episode, we mentioned to you all that unfortunately, I won't be doing the interview for this episode. But boss, who do we have for this episode? So for this episode, our guest interviewer is Magdalena Abrego who used to work in the alumni office and now she is in New York doing a ton of really interesting uh, music projects, doing sessions. Magdalena and I did some voiceovers for some alumni achievement award stuff in the past and we were just general great pals. For this Somos interview, I thought it would be great to have another alum kind of lead the conversation. Hello, everyone. My name is Magdalena Abrego. I use she, her pronouns. And my family is from Mexico and Puerto Rico. I grew up in Chicago, um, but now I am based in New York. I am a guitarist, composer, and teaching artist and Berkeley alumna. I came here uh, for my performance degree and graduated in 2000. And 15. So I'd love to hear from each of you if you want to introduce yourself briefly. Cool, yeah. My name is Isaac Matus. Uh, I'm from Bogota, Colombia. I started in Berkeley in 2013 and graduated 2018. I did contemporary writing and production and electronic production and design. And yeah, I live in New York City. I work as a sound designer and a music producer, mainly electronics, electronic producer. Hello, my name is Nella. Um, I'm from Margarita Island in Venezuela. And I came to Berkeley in 2011 and graduated in 2015. I stayed here for a little bit after that. And then I moved to the closest city <laughs> that I wanted to go to, which was New York. I've been there since then. And uh, I'm a singer. And I've been working on my music, recording albums, and performing uh, since I got to the U.S., actually. Hello, my name is Jeremy Bosch. Uh, I'm from Puerto Rico, and my mother is from Venezuela, and my grandma's from Cuba, so there's a little bit of a mix there. Um, I came to Boston in the year 2008, straight out of PR, and uh, in 2013, I graduated. Uh, after that, I moved to New York City as well. Lived there several years and uh, started performing and playing. I graduated Berkeley out of the jazz composition department. And uh, so, yeah, same as Nella, I've been producing my own albums as well as collaborating with other great artists from New York City and abroad. Yeah, that's about it. I want to start way back when with a throwback question to kick off our conversation. Take me back to your first semester at Berkeley. What were you listening to? How were you spending your days? Like what was going through your mind at that time? I was listening to, actually I was listening to a lot of Colombian music back then. Some like fusion jazz, you know, the Berkeley Mosquito, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, what was going through my mind? Um, well, New City you know, excited to meet new people, to, to like very, a lot of curiosity mm -hmm. to see where this, this whole journey was going to take me. Not going to lie, seasonal depression did kick <laughs> <laughs> shortly after I moved, you know, the, the winter, all that stuff, yeah. like going dark at 
4 p.m. Uh-huh. It wasn't something that I was used to, but, you know, seasonal happiness, I guess. When the summer <laughs> came, that was that Seasonal was nice happiness, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. Boston winter yeah. does not mess around. I remember when I came to Berkeley, so many of the people that I met were buying like sweaters for the first time or like parkas for the first time or pants for the first time. <laughs> um, how about you, Nella? Actually, my first semester was summer. So that was great. The weather, it was very hot, but I come from an island, so I was okay with that. And I thought it was going to be the next Christina Aguilera. That was me. I was like, yes, that's what I'm going to do because, yeah, I know. I even like, dude, I was obsessed. I wore green eye contacts for years. <laughs> yes. Wow, that's Back deep. in Venezuela. Wow. Yeah, thank God I got here and somebody was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you look like a snake or something. <laughs> but no, when I moved here, I remember I, that's where I grew up singing. I was singing like Celine Dion, Maria Carey and all of this. And then when I got here and I heard people singing that kind of music way better than me. And also, not, not only that, it was just like, I saw like people with a connection with music that I don't think I had, because I didn't even sing in Spanish, which was weird. But then it was here when I kind of like got, and even in that semester, I felt like a connection with the music from my country. It wasn't that I was going to start singing traditional music from Venezuela, but there was something there that I never experienced before. And... It was a lot of curiosity, as Isaac said, um, seeing my, my peers and learning from them. And it was because of that that I started to, you know, to, to, to get closer to my roots, which I think is the most important thing that happened to me at Berkeley. And I think it happens to a lot of people here. I mean, of course, it happened during the rest of my career. But the first semester, that was like the first thing that I was like, oh, shoot, this is, this is different. I, I never felt this way before. So it was a great discovery for me since the beginning. Yeah, it it seems almost very similar to my story, except for the for the summer part. That would have been great. <laughs> it was great. Uh, wouldn't have been as much of a culture shock. Yeah. But uh, also come from an island, so surely uh, coming here in the fall semester, winter semester, uh, straight out of a tropical ninety degree weather is quite a change. And and Boston is you know New York is cold, but Boston is is cold, cold. And uh, and so, yeah, it was great. I think what I was listening to at the time, I was very big on on jazz music and I was uh, I wasn't even singing. I wasn't a singer. I was just a flute player and I wasn't a composer either. That's why I chose composition at Berkeley, because I felt that since I was 13 years old, I was already playing professionally in Puerto Rico. So I had already gained a little bit of ground playing and performing, but I, I knew that my weakness, I, I was very weak as a, as a composer. So I, I need to get some strength and some info and some feedback and some, you know, obviously a, a whole major to, to help me in that area because I wanted to have that kind of tool. So in terms of listening, I was very much into <clears throat> the usual jazz records that are very important, like uh, Dexter Gordon and Sonny Stitt and Freddie Hubbard, Miles Davis, Coltrane, etc. And so... Yeah, that was about the material that I was listening to. And yeah, that first semester, I think the the one silver lining in the middle of all that change was uh, living with uh, my best friend from Puerto Rico who played saxophone and who came here a semester before me. So he had already kind of laid the ground for finding an apartment so that we could be roommates. And we were living in a bunk bed, believe it or not. Wow. One so like room. best friends with a capital yeah. B. We, yeah. were paying, <laughs> we were paying. Listen to this. So, I, and this is not the, ni- the 1970s. This is $250 rent. That that was our rent. And and we were living in a little uh, bunk bed 
a red bunk bed that we found on Craigslist. <laughs> and we rented a car to go pick it up, to go pick it up. Uh, it was fun times. It was, <laughs> it was absolutely wonderful living with him because we, we, we were able to share with each other the different ideas musically that we were exploring. So, so it was actually a wonderful time. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So I want to return to something that you said, Nella, about returning to your roots when getting here to Berkeley. It's a common thread that not only I experienced, but also that I hear from other students. And I think it's really interesting because when you get to Berkeley, it's a campus known for its diversity. You have people from all over the world. There is a variety of genre, a variety of music making and music methodologies once you get here. What do you think promoted you to to return to your roots, like return to the music that you started with? Like, it sounds like maybe that was true for, for multiple people at the table right now. Like, why not, I don't know, completely abandon the music of the place you came from and try something totally new? Like, tell me a little bit more about that for anyone that resonates with. Well, for me, it was... Um there was something I was I was obsessed with my instrument. Like I was very um, technical about it. Like I loved uh, how you could do so many things with your with your vocal cords. That's why I was obsessed with Maria Carey, Celine Dion, Whitney Houston, because I was just like, oh my god, how can they do all of these things? And for me, it was more like about you know about the technical stuff. But I think that made me forget about connection and interpretation, and of course, singing in my language already there is a huge undeniable connection and being able to express that uh with my language I think it was just very obvious and I never I just never had that connection before for me it was kind of like magical and it was because of a Venezuelan song that everything happened La Negratilia that actually a guy from here from North America he showed me that song he's like oh uh, you're Venezuelan you must know this song it's from there and I was like yeah sure I didn't <laughs> and I had to go uh, singing and singing it to her, uh, this recital and it's a song very difficult because it was written uh, for mandolin and the melody was very intricate and the lyrics just by coincidence they talked about the island that I'm from so it was kind of like a beautiful and magical story that it was like a before and after in my career and life and after I sent that song uh, something connected and something that I could see people from Cuba when they used to sing when I could see them you know singing their music or people I don't know from from New Orleans singing their, their music like there was just like a connection that I felt like I was missing that I, I was like okay I feel like I can sing but I don't feel this is honest. And when I started singing my music from my country, again, I don't do traditional music from Venezuela, but there is something there that clicked for me. And I could see how people were connecting with me and getting inspired. And that was it. And I think maybe it had to do with, I don't know, with being nostalgic, immigrating, Venezuela, you know, as a country it has a very difficult situation and a lot of people have left. So I think for me, all of that makes made sense. And... I think people can feel that. So for me, it was more about that, about the honesty when I'm, I was singing and the connection with my language. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think my my experience and my relationship with like Colombian music and instruments was kind of a in between, uh, like, a, like a middle point between what a lot of people experience when they come here and and like you know, knowing some of it before coming because I basically started to get into playing some some instruments and like some music from like traditional music from Colombia shortly before I moved to Boston. 
and it wasn't really anything that I thought about, like, oh, I'm going to learn it to bring it there. Just like if it happened to like fall on my on my life at the time, like classes and whatnot. And so I started to become interested. But, you know, parallelly, I, I like was applying to Berkeley. So I came here as a guitar player. That was like my m main instrument. And uh, and I brought some of these like instruments, particularly gaita, it's like a, a flute, traditional flute. And I didn't. I brought it to be like you know. I'm just bringing it to see what what happens there. But then when I arrived here, something similar happened to me. Like like what Nella was mentioning, and like you know, I got here and there's like ten million guitar players, and then, you know, they they all been studying the blues all their life, you know, and everything. So I was like, okay. That that's a long line, you know, and and but the gaita, it's like a and the, these other things are different, and I have a vivid memory of like this these guys they were playing like Middle Eastern percussion, like darbuka and like other stuff, uh, Daniel Feldman and and Ali like um, Turkish and Mexican guys, they were playing in the street like it was still warm outside, and I had my my gaita, my flute, so I was like, oh. Joined them a little bit and it was like a interesting like click, you know, cross cultural click that we did. And and it kind of, I don't know, inspired me to be like, OK, I'm here now. And I, you know, I have obviously all these resources to learn about like jazz and jazz harmony and like music technology and all that stuff. But I also have this sort of stuff that I have to dig on my own because there's not really anybody that can teach me that here. But in a way that kind of gave me a particular approach to that, you know, like learning the tradition online or like with books, mm -hmm. however I could, but without the, you know, without like necessarily a mentor, a maestro, like right there, just like on my own, but also applying some of the things that I was learning here and, you know, little by little starting to, create like what what my voice was you know going to become which i think is still a process you know of of building my voice for a lot of for a lot of people i think it is a long 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 journey so yeah yeah <laughs> that's awesome um yeah i think just to piggyback on that on the what, what you just mentioned about the journey i think there's a process of artistic maturity that takes place where wherein we might romanticize whatever is exotic in our eyes and we value it more than what is authentic from where we're from. Uh, yeah. If you're an American Caucasian, you might find Puerto Rico or Venezuela or Margarita pretty exotic. But if you're from the island, I live where you vacation, then jazz music is extremely exotic to me or European. But once you dive into that ocean, and once you go into that path and you explore all of it and you obsess over it and you practice it all, there is a point in which after developing certain spiritual and, and musical maturity, you realize that the only way that you can truly do this, not only music thing, but dare I say artistic thing in, in every discipline, uh, how can I ever be authentic without being truly authentic culturally, sociologically and and, and what's more authentic than, than actually sharing my story? You know, there's nobody that has my story. That's why it belongs to me, Nella and Isaac. And, uh, and when, I, when you realize that in your artistic path, you realize, man, you know, it, it's cool 
to go through that age in your life, in that stage in which you think that the grass is greener, sort of, yeah. in the other side. But after a while, you start realizing that the true beauty is in, in, in coming back home. And I believe that music for many of us has, has been that train that brought us back home in a certain sense. And finding that authenticity in our voices has, has been a true blessing. You know, uh, I hope everybody goes through that, uh, especially young people listening to this podcast, that, that they have the privilege to go through that uh, at a certain point in their life. And that music can, can serve as a vehicle to, to allow them to find that, you know. Yeah, thank you for time traveling with me yes. for a moment and introducing me to your Berkeley freshman selves. Let's go back to, to current times. I would love to hear from each of you about the last musical project that you worked on that really felt exciting and creatively fulfilling to you. <laughs> um, let's see, well within my journey that's still you know in process i when i was studying here i got into like i was doing a lot of arranging and then i started doing like electronic production and design the major and that got me a lot into synthesis and like little by little electronic music and uh and like but i still had all these other you know like familiarity with like some with like Latin American music and and Colombian music specifically so recently I well a few years back I started like playing with like synthesizers like specifically modular synthesizers and like electronic systems so I've been building up like a live set you know like a one-man type thing um, with like drum machines and samples and synths so and it's, uh, yeah, recently I went back to Colombia after not being there for a while and I brought all my stuff, played a few, a few gigs, did a few recordings and it was, it was nice to bring it back there, you know, because I hadn't really performed there in a, in a while and definitely not in this like new stage or like this new phase of my musical exploration, if you will. So... You know, it's a it's something that is very freeing to me because it's while I have it's like a one hour long life set and um, well, you know, there's some material that I go through with this life set. Um, it's the 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 path that I use to move between all this material is different every time. So it's kind of like jazz in a way. You know, you have you have a lead, you have a you have the the you know, the tune, but every single time that you play it, it's going to be different and it's going to be informed by the energy of the space where you're playing, how the crowd is reacting to it, you know, what, how you, what you had for lunch that day, how, <laughs> how many hours of sleep you had, you yeah, know, <laughs> like right. all the stuff. So, so, you know, and, and like knowing that it's for me, at least like, it's never going to be like a perfect thing because it's always going to be like a little detour here and another detour there it's 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 freeing it's very liberating in a way because you know you're just enjoying what you're doing and you're not like thinking oh if if i don't do this change right here in this bar then the whole thing falls apart no it's like you know just playing with it having fun and then go through go through the journey differently every single time yeah i i, I agree i think I love that, uh, Isaac, the, the, the concept of the joy 
of the journey, which is we're, we're so goal oriented, aren't we? And we're so goal driven and we obsess at times to a fault uh, about goals, about achieving things. And yet we sometimes miss uh, the real joy that goes along the production and the, the making of something wonderful. And that's how I feel right now. Uh, in October right now, I'm releasing my new record. So you ask what's been the most recent, that was the question, right? The, the most recent project. That we, I think the most exciting thing has been to finally, finally release this album. Uh, it's been s almost eight years in the making. So if somebody's discouraged because they've been working on something for six months, <laughs> don't worry about it. That's some serious patience. Yeah, yeah of yeah. course. And, and it's been many transformations along the, the catalog and along the repertoire in that album. But uh, I'm very excited about that because it is, this is the first time that I'm actually truly satisfied with a project. Uh, I don't really care at this point if it becomes successful in terms of numbers and To me, I'm so satisfied with the fact that we really got it to sound exactly how we want it. And I say we because it's not, I'm just the guy in front. It's really a, something that was made by a collective and, and by my friends who worked 10 times harder than me, dare I say. So I, I would say that, uh, yeah, that, that album is truly a joy. And uh, we, I mean, it lasted that long because I used to be with a different company that used to represent me. And when, when I showed them the project, They also worked as sort of my A&Rs. So they were like, this project is so deep in terms of salsa music. Like there's no other record in salsa music, tropical music that, is, that has ever sounded like this. So we're a little bit scared that people might not know the context. So instead of just dropping this and it not affect anybody, let's just go back. And then I, we had the idea of going past, present, future. So we went with the preface, uh, the music of Cheo Feliciano live at Lincoln Center. Then we went with the prologue, Oi, it's called prologue, Oi, Oi means today in Spanish. And it was a pro the, the preface was a live setting with a sextet with vibraphone and an homage to Cheo Feliciano and the music specifically of the 70s with Joe Cuba live, you know, suit and tie, black and white, the whole thing very, very 70s. And then the prologue was, a, you know, a project that it was all my compositions. That's where jazz count really came in handy because I did all the arrangements, the orchestral, everything, the strings. And it was beautiful. But this project is the opposite of that one because that one was very rich, very uh, lush in terms of the arrangements, in terms of the changes, a lot of influence from Brazil, compositionally, harmonically. But then... This one is the opposite. This one is a minimalist album in which we took out most of the important elements of salsa and it somehow we managed to still make it sound like salsa music. And I always say to people, it's, imagine if Kanye or, or Drake or Rihanna produced a, a salsa album. That's exactly how it's going to sound with a lot of those elements with 808s and different, different elements that salsa music usually don't have. Yeah, so this, this album is actually the latest project that has me the most excited, just to answer your question. Yeah, I, I actually was very lucky to hear some of those songs and Ooh. you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I don't know if I can say that, but I, it, you always said that it was kind of like future, future, say futuristic salsa. That's how, it's, that's how it sounds. Oh, wow. I think it's a great adjective. Consider me curious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same. October, everybody. Uh oh. <laughs> um, <Marketing> yes. <laughs> <laughs> For me, actually, we're kind of like in the similar path. I um, I I was very lucky to to. I mean, I released my first album, Voy, in 2019, and that was a great great year for me. 
uh, many things, many beautiful things happened thanks to that album. And then that album was kind of like a... Um, um, how can I say that? It was well, it was, it was my first album, so it was kind of like introduction of my voice to say like something like that with the producer I was working with. That was kind of like the uh, the 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 goal. Let's introduce your voice to the to the world. So we weren't even thinking about which I think that's how you should always be the uh, creation process. You shouldn't come from like, well, this song we're gonna make it because it's gonna get a Grammy or we're and gonna it make did this get a song. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the secret to not think about it. So or I'm gonna create this song because I want it to be number one at the Billboard or something like that. I think I think people are not stupid and they notice when you do something like that and that album I remember it was kind of like you know a song that lasted seven minutes a song that didn't have a chorus a song you know like not thinking about formulas I guess and I think that was very special so that, that was like the first album the second album was during pandemic so it was a little crazy and uh, but we made it and now it after those two albums, it took me like two years to kind of like, okay, what, what do I want to do now? Because that, there's also the pressure, of course, that we all know of nowadays. You have always to be, you know, updating, uh, uh, how do you say, like, vigente. Relevant. Uh-huh, relevant. And it's on social media, on numbers. And release a song if you can daily. Uh, and, you know, I post <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something every daily. three hours. Dude, we're almost there. Yeah. Um, AI. <laughs> AI. So, somebody who tells you that it does, any artist that says it doesn't feel pressure, a little, at least a little bit, it's a lie. Because you do. Even though you're trying not to, there is always something that it's like, you just open Instagram and immediately you're like, oh, this person is working on this and I'm laying on bed. So it's very good what you said about, you know, it took you eight years and what I've heard is like pure gold. So I think, yeah, like just be patient with what you're doing and trust more the process, enjoy the process. This album has been for me, it didn't take me two years. Like I was, it's not like I started working on, on it in two years, but I did work on my processing and what I wanted to say this time. Like I wasn't like, okay, let's release another album because Sony is asking me to release something. Or I was like, no, you know what? I don't know what I want right now. Actually, I'm going through a lot, not only musically, but, you know, not with the same manager, not with the same producer. And that's like, that's like a divorce, you know, and I've never been divorced, but, (laughs) but, you know, it's a lot. So what I'm saying is like, I just, when I was ready, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I don't know if it's going to be what people want to hear or like if my, you know, older fans want to hear, but this is how I feel now. And I think that's a beautiful thing of artists with albums, releasing albums. You can see where they were at that moment, you know? Um, And yeah, it's up to us to share, you know, that personal part with the world. And I decided to. So yeah, I'm working on, I actually finished maybe like two days ago. (laughs) My third album, um, (laughs) still working on the tweaks. I don't think it's going to be out until next year. So uh, you can listen to Jeremy's while you wait for mine. Yeah. Um, Single coming out next yeah. week. <laughs> next week. Yeah. Oh. Thursday, yeah. Oh, okay. Hey, Say the day. Just her. Sorry, Say the I, day. I had to post something really important <laughs> because it's, it's a piece for that single. <laughs> right. And then that's on Thursday. And then on Friday, we have to release another single. Nah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a very sneaky. And the TikTok dance. Yeah, you have the dance for the yeah. TikTok, right? Oh, Already. Yeah. Yeah. You need oh it. You need it. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> we'll make a dance after this. Yeah. After, after there, we're done. Can I ask you a question? Is is there is there a main is there a message that you want to send through this album? If if there was, you know, without giving too much away from the movie. Um, 
Uh, yeah. I don't know how much I can say because I don't want to spoil it. But um, I if don't it know. spoils it, don't say nothing. Yeah, I just, I would say that this is more me. It's not the other albums weren't. It was just like, I feel it was more like a collaboration um, uh, with the producer I was working at the moment, Javier Limon. And this one, for the first time, I feel like I'm more involved in everything. Oh, okay. So production wise, I, uh, and the creation of everything. And oh my God, I have, I have enjoyed this process so much in the studio every day, um, working on every song and knowing every detail, which before it wasn't like that. The process was different. So that already for me is, that's, that's, that's my Grammy, you know? So, but yeah, that's all I can say. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to wait and listen. Um, I think what I'm hearing from from all of you is this um, sense that you've reached a place in your career where you're honoring yourself over pretty much everything. And I think that that's a really great place to be as an artist when you're creating from a place that feels deeply personal and like it's honoring your interests and your... Um, I guess your message for the world. So I have, I have one final question for all of you. Earlier we discussed the start of your time at Berkeley, which is a particularly vulnerable time. I'm wondering if we can travel back in time once more, but this time to the you that you were right after leaving Berkeley. If you could go back to that version of yourself, what advice would you give yourself? Or I guess, what would you just say? Actually, I think I, I told you this today. You should just unlearn, that's the word, desaprender. Unlearn. Unlearn, yeah. yeah. Unlearn everything you've learned. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Because, yeah, like, um, we were talking, you said something great today about, uh, talking about Jeremy, because um, you tend to um, just be very mathematical after, you know, right? Because you have all of these tools, which of course are amazing, but then you have to, what I said at the beginning, you have to connect with people. And, and you also mentioned that, Isaac, like now in New York, for example, like you were listening to music that you were doing here and you were and, and like, you, you wrote a song, for example, and he was saying, oh, then I listened to it and I was like, oh, that flute solo for three minutes is so unnecessary. Yeah. You know, <laughs> stuff that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then you're like, okay, that was great. And I think Berkeley is great for that. Or, you know, any university, I guess, if you take advantage of it to explore and just do everything you can to make all of the mistakes, to play all kind of music and learn everything you can. But then I think I would have told myself, dude, uh, you don't have to do that's not necessary for the for the sake of the music and for for if you really want to connect with people, what you're doing is not necessary, you know, like the but of course you're excited, you want to show off everything you learned. But yeah, um, I think it would be that. Unlearn everything. Yeah. I, I love that. That's, yeah, that you should. Take that with a grain of salt, obviously. You're yeah. right. That when we get our diplomas on stage, you should open it to see text that yeah. just says, please unlearn all that exactly. you've learned. Um, that's, no, I think you've made a great point. I think that for many musicians that go through formal education, there is that point where you learn how to take a three minute flute solo. And then I think maturing as a musician is realizing that you could do the same in 30 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I agree. 
though the, the concept of unlearning everything you just learned needs to be unpacked a little bit because we don't want to say to people that four years of your intellectual investment in music now just waste it away and throw exactly. it in the trash. Yeah. But but I do agree with Nella in the fact that <laughs> there is a process of um here's the thing. The best way that I can explain it, and you're gonna have to forgive me, right? But it's through the greatest book ever, the Bible. Here's what I think. First Corinthians chapter eight. The Apostle Paul, the intellectual of all intellectuals, five languages, a Roman citizen, Jewish citizen, he says, We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something, they do not yet know as they ought to know. I think that explains it for me way better than I could ever explain it. Uh, looking back to that last semester in Berkeley, I would agree with Nella 100% in the fact that when we worship what we know, we become arrogant and the music suffers because music is fueled by love. And when you love your own knowledge more than you love people, then your creative process can go into a bit of a doubt. Uh, and and mm -hmm. that's when people quit music <laughs> because how could you ever have a career in something that you don't love? So knowledge puffs up. That means knowledge builds up an ego. I know so much, so I'm the best. Love builds. And I think it takes a, tr a tremendous humility to, like my sister here said, to unlearn certain things, with not with the purpose of throwing them away, but with the purpose of sifting through what is necessary and what is not. We don't always have to, in a conversation to say everything we ever, you know, listening is also part of the conversation, but it's in the same way with music. And so, yeah, that last semester, That was your question, right? Traveling yeah. through the last semester, right? Yeah, and I think you make an excellent point. I think it, um, we don't often talk about what a challenge and a skill it is to retain your curiosity yeah. for music after spending so much time studying it. But, you know, I love that, Jeremy. If you could travel back in time to your younger self, you would quote the Bible, which is very cinematic of you. <laughs> very, very epic. <laughs> How about yeah. you, Isak? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I think mainly like echoing what, what Nella and Jeremy just said, like, because also like, you know, all the knowledge that you get here in four years, it's not going to go away. You know what I mean? It's not going to go away if you, if you try to reconnect with that, like, that person that that you were before you got all this formal education because that's where the love for music is really you know like the, that's where the curiosity is like how what is, what is this sound that's in my head or this sound that i'm hearing like you know before you get to decipher it before you get to like desmenuzar how do you <laughs> that's a great yeah. word yeah. bro <laughs> <laughs> um, Shred. <laughs> Shred, sure. Yeah. Your hands, right? yeah. Like tear apart. ASMR moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> before you get to, you know, before you get to like really understand what that is, all you have for for the for sound and music is is love, and that's what really drives you to yeah. then go to pursue a formal education in music. And it's just so hard to think of what else I could 
tell myself in that time other than like when you go out into the real world don't don't be expecting that everything is going to be exactly like like it was in the ensemble room because it's not going to be and then if you call, if you walk into a real real world ensemble room with those expectations you're going to be frustrated or you're going to be like Or you're gonna walk out of, of the room a little confused as to what did you do wrong, or like why did these people not understand what I was trying to say if I use all the correct technicalities? You know what I mean? It's like you you know, like a lot of the at least for me, a lot of the, the artists that I liked the the most, they don't necessarily had a formal education in music. They had a, an approach that was simply like channeled through love and, and curiosity. And so I guess, yeah, I would say just don't lose the curiosity. Don't, you know, don't, because yeah, this is a job, you know, and at Berkeley, we are trained a lot of the times to be workers of this industry that is music, you know, sure, there's romantic, romantic parts of it. There's like beautiful parts of it that they also teach you. But to the core is like, you're coming here to learn how to be a worker in this industry so that you can make a living out of it, right? And that sometimes can, like, you know, tame the curiosity a little bit because then you're like, oh, well, I'm curious about this, but I already learned that it's actually not that way, it's this way. Mm -hmm. And then you go and meet somebody who's been making music their whole life and they're good at it and they're successful and they have a completely different approach to that that you learn. And so being open to, like, keep both the toolkit that you learn here and the, the the empirical and like curious and just genuinely like unaware of, of all the technicalities. I think trying to get a balance between those things. It's 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 important. Thank you so much, all of you, for, for joining Thank me. Thank you. And and you know, this is the first time that we're meeting, but I feel like as Berkeley alums, we can relate so deeply yeah. <laughs> um, from both our time here and our time in the industry since. So thank you so much, Jeremy, Nella, and Isak. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Hola, hola. I'm Luis Angel. I'm from Mexico. I'm a composition student. Hey, everyone. I'm Denny. I'm from Bulgaria, and I'm a music business and management student. Somos Latinx is a new initiative that is all about supporting students and building a strong foundation. We covered academic prep, explored Latinx and Hispanic culture, and learned how to navigate Berkeley. It's a celebration of Latinx and Hispanic heritage in the arts, making Berkeley richer and more inclusive. You know, programs like this thrive thanks to the support of our generous donors. You can be a part of this, too, by making a gift of any size at berkeley.edu slash giving. Your support creates unforgettable experiences for us students and makes our journey through Berkeley truly amazing. So don't forget to visit berkeley.edu slash giving. So we are back and you just listened to Magdalena's interview with the Somos Latin X alums. And that was our new commercial that you just listened to. Boss, what did you think of it? I loved it. I thought that, um, first of all, whenever I get a chance to listen to some sort of a podcast interview with Magdalena, it always brightens my day. Um, but I loved that a theme that has been kind of circling around me today is people coming back to their roots. I think it's a very fortunate thing as a white man from South Boston. I don't know that I have my own kind of musical 
cultural roots. Um, I grew up around a lot of bagpipe music, I'll tell you that much. But I don't know that that makes me feel like I'm culturally grounded. And I think that that's the purpose with Somos is to bring that to the students who are just starting out. I thought that was really cool how they just kind of related their own personal backgrounds and like how they brought their own native homes to Berkeley. And I thought it was also cool to hear how they had to adjust to the crazy winters in Boston, as you know, it can get super cold and the blizzards that we have. (laughs) And then also the expensive rent. Like it was just cool to hear them connect on these different like aspects and themes and just to, you know, see how they was able to survive it. Yeah. And I would just like to thank Tawana Flores for taking the time to meet with us and give us a little more insight into the Somos Latinx program. Taiwana will be coming back up at another point uh, later this season. But first, Jaquel, back to the the new commercial. How did you like those students? Well, I'm super thankful that they kind of took that off our plate. (laughs) 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 They did better than us. That's all I want to say. But uh, I thought we did great. (laughs) But no, shout out to them. They did really good. And it's also really cool to hear from the students, you know? Yeah, no, they came up with the script and we recorded it. We had a lot of fun. They're great students, and we had a little time at the end. So we did some rapid questions, and let's hear them. What's your name? Luis. What semester are you? Third semester. What are you studying? Uh, Music composition. What's your instrument? Voice. If you had to plan a dinner party, what three guests would you choose? Uh, Ricardo, Leslie, and uh, Andres. And one more. Uh, My mom. Oh, shoot. Uh, Danny. Okay. Um, what's your favorite color? <laughs> uh, blue. What's your favorite restaurant on campus? Uh, I would say Shus. What was your favorite first semester class? Uh, Harmony in Counterpoint. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Denny, what's your name? Denny. What semester are you? Uh, third in person, fifth in credits. Okay. What? Um, oh, no. Now I'm blanking. Uh, what, uh, what are you studying? Music business and management. What's your instrument? Voice. If you had to plan a dinner party with three people, what would you serve? Can one be dead? You didn't listen to oh, the question. What would I serve? Yes. Um, a chicken? Everybody loves chicken. Sounds great. Okay. Uh, favorite color? <laughs> Red. Favorite song? Uh, um, Wrong. Favorite movie? <laughs> um, how to Train Your Dragon? Excellent. All right. Um, well, thanks, guys. I feel like I've learned a lot about you today. We'll be hearing more about you throughout your Berkeley journey. Thank you. Woo. See you next time, guys. <laughs> so that's it. A little fun fact is Magdalena had Jaquel's position before Jaquel started. And Jaquel, great things happen to people who have had this position. My future's of yours. looking bright. It is. So Magdalena actually just had one of her songs premiere on the FX show Reservation Dogs, which you can find on Hulu. And yeah, it's just a another great moment to celebrate alumni success. Enjoy. Have a great day and see you on the next episode. What you want, what you need, what you love, who you really are, if you dare, if you don't, if you try, and you wanna cry.
Space for you. 